But tonight, let's look at, let's just read through uh, verses 1 through 5 here of the book of Titus. Chapter 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, According to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of our God and Savior, to Titus. A true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask tonight that you would minister your word to our hearts, that you would give us a sense of why this book was written, what the purpose of it is, and why it's been placed in the New Testament, and how it relates to us as a church here at Calvary Vista, but also how it relates to us as individual followers of Jesus, and how it relates to us as people who are seeking to live out our faith in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our community. So Lord, be glorified tonight in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. A little bit of background. Titus is part of a collection of Paul's letters known as the pastoral epistles or the pastoral letters. And this is because 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy deal with Paul's admonitions or his exhortations to his fellow co-workers on things like how to deal with false teachers, how to establish leadership in local churches, and how to encourage godliness. So church leadership is actually a main focus of the letter to Titus. We read there in verse 5 that Titus, his mission was to set in order the things that are lacking. That, that phrase, to set in order, it literally it speaks of, of a, a doctor who is an orthopedic surgeon who's going to take a, a bone that's been broken or that, that is put out of place, and he's going to set it in order. And this is what Paul is commissioning Titus to do on this island called Crete with the churches that are in the various cities located there. So his mission is to set in order the things that are lacking and appoint... Other elders in every town. Now, next week in our study, we're going to be talking about the qualifications of elders and what that is to look like. But we also see in verse 9 that Paul says that the elders are to hold fast or hold firmly to the message that they have been taught and to encourage others by sound doctrine. So Titus is looking for these kind of guys that he can entrust and train and equip to minister 
to the body. Paul is going to make it very, very clear, though, that it's not just enough for a leader or a believer to be sound in their doctrine, but they need to live according to it. I would put it this way, that our belief is to mark or influence our behavior. It was R. Kent Hughes that put it this way, when the message of the gospel comes unglued from godliness, faith shatters. And I think that's such a powerful statement because our belief and our behavior are tied together. And if our belief isn't affecting our behavior, then our faith, our walk, our witness is going to shatter. Throughout the book of Titus, Paul will keep bringing us back to the focus of the gospel. We see that in these opening verses where Paul mentions the hope of eternal life that was according to the word, the word being Jesus, and how that word, that message comes through preaching. We also see this clearly in the end of the book when we get to chapter 3. In fact, turn over to chapter 3 if you would for a moment. There in chapter 3, Paul writes in verse 3, For we ourselves were also once foolish and disobedient and deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Here's the gospel. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by his grace, this is a theme of Paul's, it's by grace that we've been saved, not of works, he would say in Ephesians, lest anyone should boast. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then I love what he says there in verse 8. He says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. In other words, I want you to be reminding these men and these women of this all the time. Keep these truths. Keep the gospel and the truth of the gospel ever before them. The heart of the leader has to be continually fixed on the gospel. And he gives us the reason. In the second part of verse 8, he says, that those who believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable to men. In other words, he's saying the gospel is our true north. The gospel is what keeps us heading in the right direction. In chapter 2, he gives us the result of the gospel when he says this. Turn to chapter 2, look at verse 11. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Again, speaking of Jesus and, and him coming teaching us. This is what the gospel teaches us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous 
for good works. So he's telling us the grace of God that has appeared to all men in the person of Jesus Christ. John said that we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, and he was what? Full of grace and truth. Jesus comes in, and that grace is teaching us how to live. It's teaching us where our expectations should be, and it's the means of our sanctification, our growing and being purified in our relationship with the Lord. So Paul is teaching, he's going to be teaching, we're going to see, that doctrine that rightly teaches the good news of Christ should not minimize the requirements of godly living. The two go hand in hand. That true, the true gospel of the, the, the true doctrine of the gospel becomes precisely the motivation and foundation for our lives. That our life must conform to doctrine. And he wants us to see that the message is the same for leaders and servants, for parents and children, male and female, young and old. That the grace of God should produce in us godliness. So Titus was to set in order the things that were lacking. And a big part of that was going to be the choosing and the training of elders. But this was not an easy task. Especially considering the reputation of the people of Crete. Look down at verse 12 there in chapter 1. This is a testimony, Paul says, of one of their own prophets. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And Paul says, and this testimony is true. It's like, look, I've met a bunch of them, and this is true. This is exactly what they're like. It's sort of like the reputation of New Yorkers, right? New Yorkers have a reputation, right? I'm not saying that they're like this. That's all I'm saying. But New Yorkers, anybody here from New York? Okay, Okay. New Yorkers. Yeah, no, 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 you're you're misunderstanding me. Listen for a minute, okay? New Yorkers have a reputation of being, kind of having a little bit of an attitude, being a little bit opinionated, kind of loud and proud, right? We, we have a gal on our staff, um, we call her Mama J, you know, she's from New York, she lets us know all the time, you know, she's from New York. Or it's like Philadelphia sports fans, okay? If you are a, into sports, you know the, the Philadelphia sports fans have a reputation for being the most critical fans in all of sports. They boo and talk smack to their own team, you know? I mean, it's just relentless if you are on the Phillies or on the Sixers or one of those teams. And a person from New York or Philly, you know, it, it would say, we would say, like, this, this is true. They wear those attitudes like a badge of honor. Well, the badge of honor, the badge of the Cretans, their reputation was they're always lying. They can't be trusted. They're mean people who will rip you to shreds, they're, they're evil beasts, and they're lazy people that just want to sit around all the time and eat and drink and be critical of everyone around them. Now, can I ask you this question? Can you imagine being the pastoral candidate for this group of people? Or you're the guy that, you know, the, the church 
missions board is saying, hey, we're sending you to Crete. That's where we're sending you. We're sending you to that island, that place. I mean, can you imagine being called to this city? You know, when I left here back in 1991 to go and plant a church in Silverton, Oregon, I'd never even heard of Silverton, Oregon. Silverton was a very podunk little town up in around the Salem area there in Oregon. Little little community of about maybe I think five thousand people and there was a group there that, you know, were asking if we would consider to come and, and pastor the church. And I remember as we were driving to go and meet with this group of people. Now I'm from Orange County, okay? The O. C. Anybody here from the O. C.? You know, I'm from the OC. I grew up in Orange County, and uh, you know, it's big, it's blacktops and beaches, and it's city and that type of thing. And and I'm driving to Silverton, and I'm thinking, where am I going? I mean, it's out in the Tulies, pretty, but I mean, it's out in the country. As we're meeting with this group of people that, you know, said, hey, we're interested to, to start a church and they wanted to meet this guy from California that was coming up. And, and right before we're getting started, the, the people there, whose house that we were meeting at, their dog comes running up with half of his face blown off. Because he had wandered into a nearby farmer's yard, and, yard and, or farm and the farmer shot him. And so he's come up and half of his face is gone. I'm thinking, where am I? What is going on? I I shared a message that night with this group. There's maybe about 30 people that were there that night. And what had happened was, is the very small group of people, I didn't know this till afterwards, a very small group of people, like maybe about 12 that wanted to get this church started, had invited a whole bunch of their friends. So the other, you know, 18 or 20 people that were there were just, I call them looky-loos. They were just there to kind of check this out. And so I give this message and I go, any questions? First question comes from this lady that, okay, this is 1991. She looked like she just walked out of Woodstock, okay? Total hippie chick, and, and she asked, um, what's your view of dancing in the Spirit and speaking in tongues? And she wasn't asking it like out of curiosity. She was asking, I could tell, like, like I'm into this, and are we going to be able to do this in your church, you know? So I took her to 1 Corinthians 14, and we went through, spent about 15 minutes talking about what Paul said about all that, and decently in an order, and the gifts, and how that worked. Immediately when I was done, there was another guy there who was, you know, looked kind of like a Marine, just, you know, real short haircut, and real clean-cut looking guy, you know, kind of serious, and he raises his hand, and he says, "Um, how are you going to handle church discipline? And I knew what he was thinking, how are you going to deal with her when she gets out of line, you know? That's what his focus was, okay? I'm thinking, where am I? Who are these people? I found out later that guy was the local sheriff, and he walked up to me after we were all done and kind of just eating some cookies and, you know, fellowshipping, and he comes up and says, hi, introduces himself. He goes, I'm the sheriff here in town, and he says, you know, in law enforcement... Law enforcement, first impressions are really, really important. And I just want you to know, I've been sizing you up all night long, and I won't be back. 
<laughs> I was like, gee, thanks, you know. As bad as that was, Titus had it way, way worse with the people in Crete. The Cretans were as bad as they came. Not the easiest place to minister. But this is a great reminder to us. That the gospel of Jesus seeks to invade the most difficult of places. The darkest of places. The darkest of hearts. How did the gospel get there? Well, we're going to see this in our study on Sunday mornings in the book of Acts as we enter this week into chapter 2. And, and we're going to see that on the day of Pentecost, there are people who have come from all over the Middle East because Pentecost was one of the three Jewish feasts that, that Jewish people were required to go to to celebrate. And so they'd come to Jerusalem, and there's these people from 16 different communities all around the Middle East, and they come there to celebrate on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples in that upper room and we'll see in a couple weeks where Peter's going to get up and he preaches and we're going to learn that there are these groups of people from all these different places that are going to hear the gospel and respond and some of them the Bible tells us there in Acts 2 are from Crete so these guys get introduced to the gospel and then all these people that get introduced to the gospel, eventually they end up going home. And these guys take the gospel there, and somehow this work of God starts here in the island of Crete. And it's amazing how that happens. How God does a work in your life, and it ends up affecting not just you, but your friends, and your family, and those that you work with. And somewhere in the midst of Paul's journey, he gets to this island, he meets these believers, he's teaching them, and then he decides to leave Titus there. But this reminds us that the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel is the light of God to shine in the darkest of places. And we can't forget that, that there's no place that's too hard. For the gospel to reach and penetrate and transform. Now another thing that we're going to see in Titus is the idea of what I like to call a generational church. Because Paul gives these instructions to five distinct groups of believers. We, we'll see he's going to talk about the older men and the older women. He's going to talk about the younger women and the younger men, and he's also going to talk about slaves. And this is a great reminder to us that the, the body of Christ is made up of a variety of people, not just one group. And sometimes it's popular today for church leaders to target one group, to target, hey, we're going to target the young people. Or churches sometimes do dump, dump, dumb. They are dumb. They do these demographic studies where they say, you know what? Okay, here's where all the middle class, the upper middle class people are living. Those are the people with all the money. We're going to plant our church there. That is not the way of Jesus. Jesus gave his life for everyone. 
He wants the gospel to go out for, to everyone. And this is a church like ours that was made up of young and old and men and women and everyone in between. And he mentions the slaves. And I think that's really, really interesting because these were the people who were on the lowest rung of the social ladder there on the island of Crete. And so the message that's being sent here is that everyone is welcome and everyone has a place in the body of Christ and everyone can be used by the Lord. And so this is going to be a focus of this study is to reveal to us the kind of people that God wants to use in building his church and reaching the world. We're going to see what does God look for in leaders. And we're going to take these principles and we're definitely going to apply them to this, the context of this church and how, you know, things work here and how God has led us here. Um, and how I think that in the midst of this study, God is going to be calling some of you. He's going to be calling. He's going to be doing something in your heart and calling you into leadership or into service and into ministry. I think there might even be some of you that through the course of these next seven weeks and looking and going through this study, God's going to plant a seed in your heart of a calling into full-time ministry. To maybe go and be someone who in a few years would go out from here and plant a church. But note this, many of the principles that we're going to see in this short letter can also be used to serve in your home, to lead in your home, or in your business, or in your friendship groups, and we're going to bring that application as well. What I want to do tonight in closing, though, is I want us to look at Titus, the man. Titus was one of Paul's most trusted co-workers. And this is evidenced by the fact that Paul sent him to the trouble spots of Corinth and Crete. And you know, you only send somebody to troubled spots for two reasons. You either send them to the troubled spots because you don't like them. Let's send them to Death Valley. You know, like you, you want to send because you just don't, or, or you feel like, you know, he just needs to be broken. Let's just send them to this hard spot. But more, I'm kind of being facetious there a little bit, but, uh, but more often than not, you send somebody to the trouble spots because you trust them. You know that they're going to do a great job. You know that God's going to use them in that way. That's what, that's what Paul's doing here. Titus was a full Gentile. Timothy, his other son in the face, was a, a half, half Gentile, half Greek. He's mentioned often in Paul's letters. He's mentioned in Galatians chapter 2. He was with Paul at the very start of his ministry. He's mentioned in Acts chapter 15. When Paul and Barnabas are going to that very, very serious meeting there in Acts chapter 15 with all the elders and leaders there in Jerusalem, Titus is with them. He's a part of that very important meeting. 
But we're told the most about him in five passages in the book of 2 Corinthians that I think give us some great insight. And you don't need to turn there. They'll be on the screen. But I want to just note five things about Titus that that I think we should be praying that God would do this, this in our lives as well. Number one, Titus brought rest to others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Paul writing, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. When Titus was around, he set the hearts of others at ease. I would say Titus was so focused on Jesus that he would just leave your heart at rest. There'd be a a sense of just refreshment in being around him. You know, there are some believers that I'm around who do the opposite because they're so focused on so many other things that that I, I leave stressed out. I leave frustrated or I leave burdened when they're around. That wasn't Titus. Titus brought rest to others. Number two, Titus brought comfort to others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, Paul writes, Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. The phrase downcast equals to be disheartened or discouraged. Titus was a great encourager. You know, there's a guy in the book of Acts that we'll read about. His name is Barnabas. And Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. Wherever he went, he just encouraged others. That was Titus. And that's a great person to be. The type of person who others are just encouraged and uplifted by your presence. Number three, Titus was committed to helping others become complete in Christ. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. Paul writes, So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. That's a great combination that Paul's mentioning here. He brings rest, he brings comfort, and, but the thing is, is he's not going to let people just kind of stew. You know, some people, when you're discouraged and going through it, they come and they can uplift you, but, but they kind of just can leave you there in that place where you kind of get your focus changed. Titus is one of those guys who's going to say, hey, we can't stay here. You got to move forward. You got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You got to, got to see what God has for you. He's going to point you to Jesus and encourage you in the areas that you need to grow. It's that type of person who's going to walk with you and teach you and share and live with you. It's what we call making disciples. It's the kind of person who's going to follow up with you and say, hey, how are you doing? We talked last week or we talked yesterday. How are you doing now? What's going on? Titus was one helping others become complete in Christ. Number four, Titus had an earnest heart and care for people. We see this in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 16 and 17. Paul writes, But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. Earnest care. I like to put it this way. That's compassion plus action. Titus didn't just care, he moved. He acted. And Paul says he went on his own accord. In other words, no one had to instruct him. 
You know, I think there's a difference that we see in Scripture between what the Bible calls deacons and elders. Both are very important and have an important place in the body of Christ. Deacons and deaconesses, that's women deacons, are those who are involved in practical things. They have an eye for that. They have an eye for you know the, the, the uh, setting up of chairs or the cleaning of bathrooms or just dealing with those practical things. Their brain and heart kind of move in that direction. Elders, though, are those who have a heart for people and a care for people, who are just drawn and they watch and they see you know, the, the people that are coming into the church and they seem downcast and they're drawn to them and to encourage them. Titus was that kind of guy. Earnest care. And finally, number five, Titus was a man of integrity. He says, I urge, this is 2 Corinthians 12, 17 and 18. I urge Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? When he asked that question, did Titus take advantage of you? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, he didn't. He's the kind of guy who can be trusted. He's the kind of guy, Paul is saying, who has your best interest at heart. And as I look at this description, this fivefold description of Titus, I say, may all of us be seeking through this study and through the work of the Holy Spirit to become a lot more like Titus. Men and women who bring rest to others, who comfort others, who are committed to helping others become complete in Christ, who have an earnest heart and are caring for other people, and who are men and women of integrity. And you know what? When I hear that description, you know who that reminds me of? That's Jesus. It reminds me of Jesus. And if we become those types of men and women, you know what? Calvary Vista is going to be a much better place. Our community will be impacted. Our neighborhoods will be impacted. And our families will be impacted. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this man, Titus, and the example that he is to us of a follower of Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you now would be just working in our hearts as we've laid out this introduction, as we've laid out just kind of what we can look forward to in these coming weeks, God, I pray from the very beginning tonight that our hearts would be stirred to be these type of men and women. And so, Lord, we we thank you, we praise you, we give you, God, this time. In Jesus' name, amen.